Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello and welcome to the podcast with a week off from Six Nations action. It's now time to start the build-up with round three. And here in the studio, returning from his uh, happy holidays in the West Country, is Steve Cording. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm good, Lol. How are you? Did you miss me? Um, That's enough. That's all I need to hear. You were missed. I mean, our listeners missed you, more importantly. Uh, Well, I had a great time in Devon. Thank you. It was lovely to go down and see that part of the country, which I... I know you know it's a beautiful place to be, but also got to do a couple of things in London with the kids for half term yep. last week that I'd never done before, which was Thames Clipper. Ever been on that? Yeah, I have been which, on the Thames Clipper. Which is really good. Uh, but also went on the cable car as well, which was really exciting for them. It goes pretty quick, goes pretty high. They loved it. There's a questionable statue outside the station, <laughs> which my wife took great delight in taking a photograph of. It's How would I describe it? You know when um, in Florence where they have the statues of the men with large... Yeah, um, it's like a Michelangelo. Exactly, yeah. He has no head, but he has a rather large personality. Let's just put it that way. I have no idea why it was there, but um, that was intriguing. But yeah, lovely to go on that cable car. What about yourself? Uh, I was on Premiership Cup duties for TNT Sports over the Mm. weekend, down in Gloucester on Saturday, where the home team were victorious against Exeter. And then I dashed back to Ealing on Sunday, yesterday, where the visitors were Leicester, uh, earned themselves a place in the final. So Mm. I believe the Premiership Cup final will be on... Friday the 15th which is Cheltenham Gold Cup Day so all the Gloucester faithful will be uh, they won't be at Cheltenham they'll be at King's Home to watch uh, Gloucester take on Leicester in what should be great fun do you know actually what really impressed me are two things that stood out one was the performance of Zach Mercer Mm. uh, who was player of the match and still not in the England A squad having been told by Steve Borthwick to come back from has he run over somebody's cat do you think I don't know something's gone wrong there George Givington is also in charge of the A team I know I know listen they they must have their reasons but um, did you see that try that uh, the, the young winger scored at the weekend? Yeah. Uh, maybe um, Zach Mercer thought, right, maybe I need to kick more to get into the England squad. Great kick, <laughs> isn't it? Lovely little grubber. Yeah. But listen, he he can only do what he can do, which is to put in performances like that. And I'm sure in time he will come through. But a great win for Gloucester. Mm. And then Ealing. I mean, yeah. they did brilliantly, actually. They had their biggest crowd of uh, the season. And uh, Leicester were, by their very high standards, uh, way off the mark. They picked a strong team. And I don't know whether it was a mental thing, but they only seemed to kick into gear when there was any chance of losing the game. What do you think? I mean, going down there as a setup. I mean, obviously, a lot has been made of the fact that they've been in the top two for the last eight seasons. Yeah. They've still been denied. I had a look into it. They're still, they haven't actually applied to get promoted this no. season because I mean, they knew uh, there was uh, no uh, chance. I mean, everyone, everyone says that they've been denied. I mean, the reality is they obviously don't want to be promoted. Well, that was going to be my they, question. Because yeah. if they wanted to be promoted, they're clearly good enough. Mm. Um, they have a squad that's good enough. They have ambition 
to be promoted. But when push comes to shove, they don't want to either put the club in financial risk, which is, you know, commendable. Sensible. But equally, mm. they would have to move stadium. You know, they had their biggest crowd of the season, which was, what, two and a half, three thousand, whatever it was yesterday. Yeah. And that is not what the Premiership wants. They want a team that can maybe attract, you know, ten, nine, ten thousand 10,000 minimum, really. So the criteria for that would be to move to another stadium, which they don't want to do. So you, mm. you can either... On the one hand, commend them and say, you know, well done, because what English rugby doesn't need is another club that's going to go bust financially. No. But then what's the point of them? They've got 1,200 appearances at the top level amongst their team, Mm. 60 international caps. What's the point of amassing all that talent and then winning every single game at home, apart from obviously yesterday? Where's the next challenge for Well, I think for the players, it's games like that, the Premiership Cup. Maybe, maybe you know, we'll see a British Cup, British League. But if they're not going to get into the Premiership, then there won't be a challenge for them. And the difficulty they have is that they are head and shoulders the best team in the Championship. I think they've scored nine tri-bonus points. They've Mm. won, their points difference is 201 and they've got the best defence in the league. So they either smash teams or the one game that they've lost, I think they picked up a losing bonus point. So when they come up against the likes of Leicester Tigers yesterday, which was always going to be a close game, it's that fine margin. And the challenge for them is, is how do you win those close games when every week, you know, it's like the All Blacks playing and they mm. win because they, they win comfortably. Maybe we need to give them the right reply to find out exactly what their plans are for the future. Because I read that they could play in the URC, so they're qualified to play there. They obviously can't play in the Prem. Yeah. So there are some opportunities to do. Interesting. Um, so that was the end of your day, was it? Or did you end up going anywhere else? No, no, no. It was, the, it, was the, it was the end of my day, but the start of my evening. Ah. Because I hot-footed from Ealing uh, down to Barnes to the Bull's Head which is a uh, very famous uh, jazz pub, really, a very famous pub, to celebrate the stag weekend of uh, one George Gregan. Ah. Um, yes, the um, incredible rugby player who's getting married uh, in March. Quiet night, was it? Listening to jazz. <laughs> 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 what makes you think that? Uh, your, your rouge complexion says it all. Uh, yes. yeah. yeah, no, we had a fantastic... Um, Fantastic evening. Well, he'll have some interesting viewing this week because um, the Eddie Jones documentary, Fly on the Wall, about the Australia in the World Cup is out. It's on Stan Sport. I don't know whether we can watch it in the UK. I hope we can because oh. I've seen some of the clips which look unbelievable, including one where he took a cattle prod into a team meeting. <laughs> I wonder why Australia didn't, didn't succeed. <laughs> um, so that will be, uh, I'm sure that'll make some headlines. Well, I mean, listen, Eddie Jones is, whichever way you look at him, whichever, whatever you think of him, you know, he's actually box office. He's actually, you know, if he was sat here now, he's great company. He really yeah. is. Um, he just needs a bit of balance, really. When, uh, <laughs> when <laughs> He needs players that are strong enough just to stand up to him and go, mate, you know, have you been on the port again? Yeah. <laughs> because we're not doing that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but, uh, talking yeah. of box office, Six Nations, should we get our guest on? Yes, let's do that. Let's introduce our guest this week. He is former Scotland captain with 76 caps to his name. It's John Barkley. John, how are you? Very well. Very well. How are you getting on? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Um, I hear you're just back from a ski trip with the family. Um, come on, make us all jealous. Now you haven't got to spend Six Nations uh, weekends uh, getting prepared for games. Uh, a good week with the family. Yeah, tiring. Like, you know, with kids is a uh, half a morning spent solo and then the rest of the afternoon spent trying to stop your kids killing themselves. Uh, but yeah, great. Awesome. Didn't do it for 16 years as a player. Um, grew up skiing. So yeah, it's brilliant. One of the perks of being retired. Does the avalanche warning go up when JB arrives on the slopes or are you, are you, are you quite a considered uh, technically perfect skier? I used to ski like a madman. I grew up skiing and then put my uh, my Garmin, I was trying. I was going like 68 kilometers an hour. I thought if I fall, this, is, this isn't very smart anymore. So yeah. uh, I kind of taper it back a little bit. He's certainly a man of precision. Look at those shirts behind him. Oh, how, no. how they're done with. Look, accuracy, aren't oh, they? No. What are those shirts, John? Which games are they from? I actually have been embarrassed to put them up. Uh, 
present company. But um, no, I've only the only shirts I've kept, and I don't actually know where the other ones are. It's my Scarlet's final jersey where we won my first game as Scotland captain, and then uh, Richie McCall shirt. Well, wow. well, listen, good I um, yeah, very good collection, and it brings us neatly uh, straight into business. Scotland, uh, their Six Nations campaign, John. You've been watching, you've been commentating, you've been working very hard. How do you view their campaign so far? Because, uh, you know, I just felt this year might be Scotland's year and it may still be. <laughs> it seems like we're saying that every year or certainly <laughs> some people are. Um, I mean, it could be better, couldn't it? But it also could have been a lot worse. Yeah. So I think on the one hand, at one point, I thought they were going to take Wales to the cleaners and, and they probably should have done. And then picked up well against France. And then uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it. The sort of try or no try. Um, they could be sitting two from two, like England, like Ireland, going into this weekend against England. Would have made it a bit, a bit more exciting. But um, I think, yeah, probably frustrating. Just knowing that they, they probably did enough in both games to win. But you kind of get what you get. Yeah. Do you think that will, uh, in the atmosphere, will be a bit more intense given what happened at the end of the France game? Because I've, I've just looked on your Twitter account this morning and that's still your last post that you put up <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <It's- laughs> <laughs> try or no try. The debate goes on, doesn't it? But do you think that'll just add a little bit more? I mean, England, Scotland special anyway, isn't it? But it probably doesn't need any more, but I'm sure it will ramp it up a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you've nailed it. I think um, Scotland, England at Murrayfield is always going to be probably the game from a Scottish point of view, from an atmosphere and fans and all that sort of stuff. The noise around is always big. So yeah, I just think there'll be a lot of frustration from the guys and, and the fans alike. And I think we, we might have lost a little bit of that excitement that we maybe would have had if it had been, you know, two beaten sides going at it but I, I still think that these are the games that especially given the history of the last five or six years against these two sides I think uh, this will be a big one John you captain Scotland in 2018 beating England for the first time in the Six Nations for 10 years actually uh, I mean now now Scotland sort of do it quite regularly <laughs> they made they made that winning a kind of habit I mean what do you remember about the game that you captain it's obviously a big proud moment for you to do that against England in the Six Nations yeah I remember, I, remember I grew up and uh, sadly played through a lot of the sort of <laughs> the poorer years against England and I kind of selfishly hope that you know my picture might be that on the Calcutta Cup and on the poster around Murrayfield for a few years but it's kind of not been that way right <laughs> every captain since has managed to do it so yeah like I said there had not been many happy memories and 2018 was the year after we'd taken an absolute pasting down at Twickenham and that one I think was pretty sore for myself and a lot of players. So that game was a, I think it was a kind of, there was a feeling of, you know, we have to at some point break this duck and and, and and it came off. So it was a pretty fiery game. We had um, obviously the little scrap in the tunnel pre-game with Ryan Wilson and Owen Farrell. And, uh, Are you now admitting that you actually saw that? Because I read something this morning that you claimed that you were in the toilet and you I didn't was, see it. I was. I always joke about what kind of captain I'd like to be and I always thought I'd be the captain like uh, Patrick Vieira or Roy Keane arguing. And I was in the bog. So I'm, <laughs> I'm <not> <laughs> oh, I don't believe that, John. Unlike you to shy away from a, from a, from a, wee, a wee skirmish with the uh, with the English well, it just makes it a bit more tasty I mean my first trip to Murrayfield was 1991 England beat Scotland 9-6 I think it was in the World Cup semi-final. John I think you were only 5 which uh, that cheered me up this morning but I mean the, the intensity of that day I, I still remember now I made the mistake of wearing an England shirt on the terrace and it was just in the evening I had to take it off there was uh, it was yeah. obviously <laughs> It was on the back of obviously 1990 and everything that happened there. And, and that was such a massive, massive occasion for Scotland. But for the first time, I felt there the real 
despise? Is that a uh, no hatred? Word? God, hatred. hatred. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Hatred. It's okay. Hatred that there is for the English. Yeah. Um, it, it just it, it overwhelmed me really. I hadn't seen Braveheart by then. I've seen it now, so yeah. probably I know why. But is it still England for you as a Scot? Is that still the game? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you, if you switch around, I think certainly from, you know, 2000 and I think 2010, they won it before then or whatever it was, 2009, 2010. And then I, it kind of felt for a lot of years that it meant so much more to the Scottish players and they, they couldn't get their hands on it and that kind of desperation. And it feels like that's probably balanced itself up. But now I think the English guys you see and last year you had Lewis Ludlam coming out and talking about it. And I think, they, I think it's great. I think both teams have a, a genuine or dislike on the pitch of each other, hatred, you know, call it what you want. They know each other pretty well now, but I think you've got to embrace this side of the rivalry and not try and shy away from it. Yeah, and I think given that England have actually only won one of the last six meetings, wow. I mean, it's like England are like Scotland, you know what I mean? Yeah. As in, they're, they're the ones looking for a victory. I think it's completely the other way. I mean, you've got an England team that should be incredibly motivated. I mean, listen, Losing to Scotland is, you know, they're, they're a very good side, but only winning one out of the last six. I mean, that is, in my opinion, as a, as a rugby player, that's unacceptable, really. So I'd like to think this group might try and redress the balance a little bit. Uh, did you do anything, do anything special with the Calcutta? Who was it who kicked the Calcutta Cup down the street after they'd won? Was that? Was it, uh, Dean Richards, I think. Ah, and, uh, yeah. John it, Jeffrey, I think. And uh, yeah. Yeah. He got banned for six months, and Dean Richards, I think he got a three day ban or something. <laughs> Oops. Well, he's normally, he's normally kicking students down the street. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so kicking the Calcutta Cup is it. And is it, is it, is it right that Nicholas Sturgeon, did he sip champagne from the Calcutta Cup? Is that right, John? Or is, is that uh, an urban I myth? I think it's more like, more like to be Buckfast. I think there was, I think John was, <laughs> um, yeah, they, they all came in. Like, I think they had, um, J.K. Rowling came in. We had a guy called Nick Gregg who was a sort of kilted Kiwi and um, he thought she was Roald Dahl and was asking her about all her books. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not, not the smartest tool. Yeah, it was, um, oh, they come out the woodwork, don't they, when there's a, a big win, kick around the changing rooms. She didn't come down when we were losing, let's put it that way. <laughs> Actually, I, lo- I lost to Murrayfield in 2000, scored the opening try of the game and then obviously the heavens opened up and uh, yeah. I was a pitcher made of that day, Lawrence. Myself and Jason Leonard were the only two, <laughs> only two, what did you say? You were ball boy that day. I, I was a pitcher made. Oh, yeah. Good man, good man. Um, Jason Leonard and I were the only two Englishmen that actually went out and you know turned up at the bar where the Scots were, were celebrating. And you know, quite rightly, when you lose, you've got to, got to accept that. Really, that. only two of you went. Yeah, it was a fantastic evening. <laughs> we, were, we were well looked after. Put it that way. I don't remember much more about it. Yeah. Listen, let's look ahead to this weekend's fixtures when England head up to Murrayfield. Scotland uh, do look like the favourites, no doubt about it. In my opinion, anyway, I'm sure that maybe the bookmakers would have it the same um, given that England have only won one in six Steve do you want to run us through what uh, QBE our friends are predicting yeah so to anybody who doesn't know we're working with QBE during the Six Nations and the QBE predictor has been produced by them it simulates the tournament 10,000 times producing the outcome from 150,000 games with every match replicated by generating a number of tries conversions and penalties scored by each team there's obviously a lot of variables in rugby but so far it's done pretty well so it's got five out of six winners and John this weekend is actually suggesting that it will be Scotland 23, England 22. So looking to a tight result, which I think at the moment it's probably either way, isn't it? You can't call it. I mean, how do you see this blitz defence working for England up at Murrayfield? Because you would have thought that Finn Russell is the one man who can exploit that with the skill set that he's got. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because if you look at the 
And I, I know South Africa went on to win the World Cup, but Scotland couldn't get their game going at all. And who was behind that defence? Felix Jones. I, I do think I watched the Italy game back and I kind of think that England were lucky to get away with it that day. And I know it was their first test match using that system, but there was a lot of space and you saw Italy, you know, kick passing. Wales tried it as well, but I think it was much, much improved in the Wales game. So I, I think it's one of those defences that is great when it works, but yeah. it feels like it takes a long time to really get used to the system and really trust the system but I did think it was much better against Wales yeah. I mean it's, it's high risk high reward isn't it and listen I, I know full well because at Wasp we brought that in very quickly and I accept a bit like you John I was watching the I was commentating actually for ITV on the Italy game and there is going to be mistakes you know inevitably one player goes out and the other player you know blitzes in and you get exposed but at international level you can't afford to make that many mistakes and you know you're right they improved it again against Wales. I think they're going to have to improve it even more against uh, Scotland and Finn Russell. Because... Well, you could argue that England could be sitting here now, play two, lost two, really, yeah. couldn't they? On the back of it, it will get better, but the opposition's also getting yeah. better. So, yeah, but also, the, you know, for me, if listen, if you're a forward, the first two or three defenders, blitz defense is happy days. You know, you just get up and you know, you, you know, you know what your job is up and out the line. The real challenge, the real difficulty comes in the centres, 12, 13, 14. That's where the mistakes are made. Um, and that's where they were made, uh, certainly against Italy. And uh, as you say, if um, Josh Adams had um, you know, managed to finish off that two-on-one, it could have been a very different scoreline. But uh, I mean, John, in terms of Scotland, it's easy for us to focus on that last-minute try, no try, which was, you know, it was a try in, in everyone's book. But uh, where do you think the, the real positives have come from, from them? Because everyone just focuses on Finn being the outstanding player. But there's been more to their game than just Finn Russell this season. And I think that's where... It probably the, the World Cup and I go back to it because Scotland really shouldn't have got out of the group you lose to the eventual winners and the team that beat the winners it's no great surprise and the fact that they limped out arguably was the most frustrating thing and I think they became too predictable so it's, it's a bit nuanced but the, the most pleasing part for me is that they're not trying to play with too much width and they're actually using someone like Sione Tupelotu like a battering ram and then also uses softer skills later in the game so they, it feels like they've matured a bit their attacking game and I think it's no coincidence that you see the best of Finn Russell when he gets time on the ball and he's not trying to play a wide-to-wide game when teams are blitzing so I think if they play like that you know that'll feed into that blitz defense we spoke about so I think there's been bits that have been really good their, their discipline obviously against France was very good I think Ben White's you know ticking on pretty nicely uh, at nine yeah I think it's just it's, it's probably been a, a solid if not flashy start but they've done just about enough yeah and do you think that do you think that they're they're one of those teams that when they seem to play in spells in games you know I mean obviously the first half being their best spell probably in the tournament against Wales but then they have spells where they let sides back into the game massively don't they and they're probably just looking for that consistency of their performance maybe yeah and it's, you know, obviously there's a, the other team has a lot to do with that and yeah. um, discipline and refereeing decisions so it's yeah I think they they would have learned a lot from that second half and I thought it was probably one of the best things that could happen to them and they got away with it yeah. I think they'll go on to rude not getting a bonus point um, given that France have lost and how you know how they the aim has always been, in my opinion, how do they go from third to second in the table? And there's obviously other teams will have a lot to do with that. But the frustrating thing is that Scotland have to be at, you know, you say they can't really have spells. And no teams can now against the best side. Uh, You've you got to be on it. So you saw in you know England's game against, you know, Wales a couple of, you know, 10, 20 minutes, you end up with two in the bin and, and the game could have gone the other way. So I think that's a challenge for all teams. How, how do we make ourselves more consistent? How do we make our attack better? How do we make our discipline better? How do we make sure we're not having these lapses but yeah, that, that, this, that'll be the focus this week. Big stuff. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Who's your starting back row for Scotland then this weekend? I think it'll be the exact same. I think Rory Darge, there was question marks, potentially would he be fit enough? Yep. I, th- I thought he was brilliant against France. Uh, I think Jack Dempsey got better and better and better as the game wore on. And I think if you've got those two, Matt Hagerson has become kind of Scotland's Mr. Dependable. Huge stats, huge work rate, physical. Um, and I think Andy Christie came on again. He could have been starting. And yeah. Was- off the bench. Not bad player to have on the bench, is he? Yeah, no, he's some player, I have to say. Quite, you know, very versatile. Listen, it's an area of strength for uh, for Scotland. Yeah, should we uh, just get a prediction from both of you then before we look at the other two games this weekend? What what do you actually think the score will be then, John? I quite like your one, the, the stat, stat predictor gave out 23-22, was it? I'm, I'm going to go with that. No, there we go. Lawrence? I tell you, I mean, given what's happened in the last six years, I'm hard pushed to disagree with that. Mm. I, I desperately want England to win. And, you know, for me, I said this at the beginning of the tournament, success for England is winning more games than they lose. <laughs> so so given that they've got Ireland at home and then France That's away, away. Um, this is a game that they have to win. They have to win. And if they have that level of desperation that I don't think we've seen from an England side, maybe since the opening couple of weeks of the World Cup, mm. then, uh, you know, I think they've got a chance, but it's going to be very, very tight. Yeah, so the other game on Saturday is uh, Ireland against Wales, at which uh, both teams will be wearing uh, green and red for the final time, which is uh, obviously they're they're going to change that going forward because of uh, the issue with colour blindness. I had no idea that one in ten men in this country suffer with colour blindness and red and green being the two predominant colours that they can't see. So from this way forward, the away team will be wearing the uh, a different shirt. Anyway, Ireland are still the team to put your shirt on. Definitely uh, <laughs> like that. Uh, 25-16, the QBE predictor is giving that one. I can't see any other result than that. Well, John, you, I mean, John, everyone's, everyone's sort of slightly... I think... Um... Was it Tom Shanklin? There was one or two players from Wales coming out sort of very concerned that Wales might be on the end of an absolute battering at the weekend. I don't think it ever turns out that way because, you know, I mean, Ireland are a very complete side. You can only look at them and be so impressed with the way that they've recovered from the disappointment of losing to New Zealand. The fact is that in the World Cup, everyone suddenly forgot that Ireland had actually won, I think it was 19 test matches on the spin, didn't they? I think it's just been the fact that no one's talking about Johnny Sexton, you know, one of the greatest players that's ever played the game, you know, having stepped aside. And yet, in England, we've got this almost daily debate about who's going to play 10 and who's the next 10, et cetera, et cetera. We get so caught up on it, whereas Ireland have just moved on. And, and John, could you see them playing so well? Could you see them winning a Grand Slam right from the start? Or do you think they might have that little bit of World Cup hangover? 
I mean, part of me, well, most of me hoped it would be the latter, to be honest, but they're frustratingly consistent. And you talked about consistency earlier, and, and it doesn't surprise me. Like, they appear to be the best coach team in the world and make changes and it doesn't seem to affect them. So Crowley's come in and, and seen him play a lot in the URC. And I guess the, the pressure would be on him. All those kind of that narrative around, oh, it's Johnny Sexton retiring, all the stuff you just said, Lawrence, yeah. and they just keep going, they keep grinding, and they keep putting teams to the sword. So... I think that game against Wales, I think Wales, that game against England is was their big game. And it's that it is always their big game in like most countries. But I guess the worry for Wales now is they've they've got to they've got to go to Ireland next and they could be looking down and they probably will be looking down zero from three. And then they've got France away as well, or France at home, and then they've got to go then they've got to finish Italy. So I think there's a, a lot of optimism in Wales, but also tempered with a realism around what's coming around the corner well John I'm, I'm guessing you're going to be uh, you're working at Murrayfield aren't you you're going to be up there obviously are you um, are you commentating will you be in the studio studio with uh, your mate Jono and uh, I think Warby excellent well there's a serious a for- forward pack there isn't there yeah <laughs> So, so I just just before you go, we'll just touch on the final game. I don't think anybody will disagree with France forty five, Italy fifteen for the Sunday game. Italy didn't score a point against Ireland. Do you know what though? Didn't play. It didn't play too badly. Didn't though, play did they? that badly. They <laughs> no. just. I mean, whenever you don't score anything, it's quite hard not to score in a game of rugby. Mm. <laughs> but, but actually, they weren't that bad. I promise you. And I'm sure that's what they'll be trying to say. Their new coaching team. You know, after the really good performance against England, you feel like you take two steps backwards. But it'll just be about trying to give them confidence and give them belief because you know when they play you know John I hope you agree they're not making as many mistakes as they were before unfortunately the the game of rugby just punishes you now and if you've got a really good team that get three or four five try scoring opportunities I mean Ireland took nearly every single one of them and uh, it's tough reading for the Italians but actually they are improving enormously I think yeah I quite fancy them actually (laughs) in France yeah I think it'd be a big ask but I think France have been very poor and I know they beat Scotland but it was a a pretty poor game all in all I think there's big question marks a lot of media around it's not very happy camp whether that's true or not I I don't know what you guys have heard as well Well, there's a few rumours around Galtier and some of the decisions he's made some of the decisions that have been made by the French Rugby Union and you know and suddenly a bit you know the French when everything's going well they're brilliant when things start to go a little bit wrong that's when you need that kind of cohesion to come together and I'm with John I I think there's a a few doubts around 9 and 10 the quality of the the two lads from Bordeaux they've been ripping it up for Bordeaux all season but they were poor Um, you've worked with Sean Edwards what will his message be (laughs) a simple one to know don't miss your effing tackles, but um, yeah. Yeah. is there something that he can do more, do you uh, think, to help listen, that team? I mean, if anyone's made any individual mistakes, then, um, you know, he's, he's the first one to pick them out, you know. Hmm. I think his famous line to me was, lol, if you want to watch the game, you can pay 35 quid like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that might get lost in translation, yeah, maybe. But, but... Uh, I don't know, there's, there's something not quite right. There's no Ibanez there. He's been uh, marginalised, put to one side. Hmm. I don't know whether that's financial, whether that's personal, uh, but it seems very strange, doesn't it? You've got a team manager there who, you know, things have been going brilliantly and then suddenly you get rid of him. So something's happened there and I think it might take uh, a little bit longer. No Gregory Aldrit in the back row. And I genuinely think they should have played Thomas Ramos at, uh, at fly half because I think, you know, anyone who's watched him play this season, whether it's a fly half or fullback, you know, he is absolute mustard at the minute. So I think they've got some issues at nine and ten, no Dupont and, you know, mentally they're fragile. I like the way that they that they confirmed that Dupont was in the seven squad last week. I thought, well, that would be a great story if they suddenly go, no, actually, we don't want him. <laughs> they don't pick him. But... Well, I think he does what he wants, doesn't he, when you're that good? Largely, yeah. <laughs> um, listen, John, it's really, really great to have you on the show. Um, wish you all the very best for the weekend <laughs> in the studio, yeah, of course. In the studio, yeah, not on the pitch. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to uh, what should be another stunning weekend of Six Nations rugby. Cheers, guys. 
Time now to have a chat with the Evening Standard rugby correspondent, Nick Puruel. Nick, how are you, sir? I'm good, thank you, Lawrence. How are you doing? You are? Uh, I am indeed. I am indeed. How are England doing? More to the point, we're expecting a number of changes to their team lineup this week, with some players hopefully back from injury, but others being ruled out because of their latest injury. Um, Nick, you're the man whose ear is closest to the ground. What can you tell us? Yeah, Alex Mitchell has um, blown out his knee, but to what extent is still to be determined. But potentially it's a surprise if he plays again in the Six Nations. You'd expect then that Danny Kerr would probably start. Ben Spencer comes onto the bench and Harry Randall's into the squad. And really, in terms of Spencer and Randall, it's it's almost like a lost you know, generation of scrum halves having a chance belatedly to potentially to, to make their point at test level. Yeah, I mean, there's so much chop and change under Eddie Jones, wasn't there? But the one mm. position he didn't seem to, to mess about with was was obviously, um, you know, scrum half. Um, and Is that cap 99 for Danny Kerr? Yeah, start? I think it's very, yeah, it's very close. And listen, he's, he's in the form of his life. You know, England with Mitchell, I think, was genuinely trying to put pace into the game. And hopefully with Danny coming in, that will continue to be the case. Um, they need power as well as pace, uh, Nick. And uh, any sign of Manu Tuilangi and uh, Ollie Lawrence in particular coming back into the team. I, I, I read that Stuart Barnes called Tuilangi uh, a, a relic from another era and, and England now need to move on. But um, if he's fit and well, would you expect to see either him or Ollie Lawrence in the squad? Yeah, 100%. I'd expect probably both of them to be in that squad. You know, they still rely on respect and almost revere to a certain extent Manu and, and what he can deliver. Obviously, the biggest battle for, for Manu has been trying to get back to his very best, just shaking off this litany of injuries that he's never really been able to, to escape since he had that really bad groin problem in 2014. And so things have kind of followed him around, but I suppose that's the lot of a professional rugby player, isn't it? And if he can, you know, if, 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 but if he can get back to his best, then he's still one of the most effective players in the world. And, and I mean, in terms of Relic, I know what, what Stuart's talking about, but I think every team has to have a way to get over the gain line with ball in hand. And England at the moment don't really have one in their back line. So Tuolangi and Lawrence will obviously bring options in, in that respect. Do you know what I'm craving from an England perspective is just some innovation. I think when I've seen England's best performances, I'm thinking they, as you say, Nick, coincided with Tuolangi playing. I mean, 2019, away in Dublin against pretty much the same sort of Ireland squad as, as certain up front as he's playing today first line out straight over the top straight to Tuolangi over the game line sets the tone for the game and fast forward to the semi-final against New Zealand you know the hacker all the build up you know the anticipation for the game I think they did something quite similar as well, you know. And for someone who is a student of the game like Steve Borthwick, I just feel like we've allowed England to become very predictable in what we do and maybe we've been a little bit afraid to innovate and Scotland used to have to innovate against England because they couldn't match us physically or, or the same power and the same size. I think England now need to admit that if they haven't got the same ingredients in their, you know, in their recipe, that there's nothing wrong with innovating and, and finding ways of getting people like Ollie Lawrence or getting Tuolangi into the game nice and quickly. Well, what about getting Tommy Freeman in the game? I mean, we've got the most exciting player in the Premiership at the moment playing on the wing. I mean, you know, I was at Twickenham a couple of weeks ago. How did he touch the ball during well, the I mean, Wales you know, game? Everyone gets obsessed with playing with speed and playing at pace, but actually playing with a bit of surprise and less predictable is what, you know, confuses opponents. Players do so much analysis on each other and on the teams now. I mean, there was so much of it available to you know people like myself looking in my day. God knows what it must be like now. There must be literally you know clip after clip. What they can't do is if you come up with something new. And I, I just genuinely feel that England need to innovate a little Would bit. Would you keep the same backline then? 
for the Scotland game? Would you make change? It feels, feels a bit hard on Dingwall as well. But this is what we've been talking about in terms of the balance of the three, isn't it? The, the, the three inside backs, they're all very similar. And in a first-choice lineup, they wouldn't be so similar, would they? So I think then what you're asking for is somebody to strain that line. So realistically, it's either going to be Tuolangi comes in at 12 or Lawrence comes in at 13. So then effectively, it's who do they want to keep in the lineup? Who would they prefer to start, Dingwall at 12 or, or Slade at 13? I think that's where you're at, really. Part of that might be who's more prepared. And by the sounds of it, that's probably Tuolangi because he came back into the full training group sooner than Lawrence did. But both are available for selection and those decisions will be made today and tomorrow. Lawrence is probably the player more in form I mean, you know, Tuolangi is still very much on reputation and what he's done in the past. And I think that's what Stuart Barnes was alluding to. Whereas Lawrence yeah. has had a fantastic, you know, he's been, I think he's been one of England's best players all season. And the reason why Bath are where they are. And I think to your point, Steve, yes, we want continuity in selection, but when everyone's fit and available, you just pick the best team. And the best team is either, you know, Tuolangi or Ollie Lawrence. And, you know, it's harsh on Dingwall, but Slade stays for me. Yes, he's made a couple of mistakes defensively, but he's in the hardest position on the field to defend at 13. You know, they're implementing that blitz defence. The most exposed player on that pitch is him. And, you know, he's obviously got one system for Exeter and another system for England. So I think people just need to rein back on the criticism because it's uh, it's really, really hard to be that player at 13. So uh, I'd, I'd like to see uh, probably Ollie Lawrence if he's fit. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing with Slade is that there's still a player of the highest calibre in there at test level, but it's never really quite come out um, for England. And, and there's a collective responsibility for that. That's obviously on the player, but it's also on the coaching and the setup. And I think there's a player in there that they can get the best out of who can really do some damage at this level. And it's about time that everybody found a way for that to happen. Nick, in, in the camp, England trained, open training session last Friday at Twickenham, 10,000 turned up, loud and free. They're going to do it again at the end of the Six Nations, aren't they? Um, not at Twickenham, I don't think, that time. But it does feel that there are more efforts being made to get a better connection with the public. Do you feel that within the camp when you're there? That is there a little bit more openness going on? I mean, I saw them playing... They weren't playing beer pong, but they were playing some kind of version of it on social media over the weekend. And there just seemed to be more behind the scenes clips coming out as well. Is there a general effort to do that, do you think? I think there is, yeah. I think there's a bit of a balance there. It's still, um, I would say it still doesn't go far enough. I'd say, yes, it's good. And that's a step in the right direction. And a lot of that is down to Jamie George and what he wants to bring out of things. But I think they've got to you know, do more still. I think it's great to see the steps that they've made. But equally, the game is just is crying out for more openness and, and it's got to sell itself. And the only way to sell itself is by telling the stories that are in there. And that takes time. And it takes time away from preparing and all the rest of it. But that's unfortunately where we're at. And as we keep talking about American sports, they can find the time. NFL is the most complicated sport in the world, but they can find all the time in a week, even in the Super Bowl, to do all their media commitments. So, you know, I think what we found as a media group covering England is that actually the access has been slightly pared back. And I can understand why it's a good temptation to do that. But actually what happens is less information comes out and it's what the public wants, what people want, it's what supporters want. They want to read a variety of things. We're trying to give it to them. And I think they just need to give us some more access. And and also, I think, you know, the best PR you can possibly have is just play really well. Mm. I know it might be a, a bit dramatic to say this, but I, I think this game is a quite a defining game in the Steve Borthwick era. You know, England have won two games, but they could easily be sat here having lost two. But, you know, let's give them credit. They found a way of winning, having been down at halftime in that Italy game and really looking like they might let the Wales game slip away from them. 
this is a tough challenge. This is a team that mm. they've only beaten once in the last six games. It's away from home. It's against the team that will be expecting to win favourites. So I think it's a really, really big game for England, like huge game. I think if they win this, you know, then England fans can start to look forward. You're not going to start uttering those two words, are you? GS. What's GS? Grand Slam. No, I'm not. No. no. <laughs> You're kidding me. I'm getting my, carried away now. I told you, Steve. Steve, <laughs> have, you been on the, uh, have you been on the apples in, uh, down in the West Country? Maybe mate? I was out on the Guinness for you <laughs> last night. A Grand Slam for England would be winning three games. Uh, you know, that for me would be success. Now, if they don't win against Scotland, uh, they've got to pull out a victory against Ireland or, uh, or France. I think they'll beat Ireland at home. There you go. Brave prediction. And then I think they'll lose in France. I think Ireland's toughest game will be coming to Twickenham to place England. I wonder how much, everyone talks about hatred, but there is a pain associated with losing. Okay. And what you have to do is you have to bottle up that pain and that feeling of losing. Now, England have, have had that feeling, you know, for quite a while against Scotland. And there's quite a few of that England team. I'm thinking Jamie George being the captain, Itoji. You know, there's a lot of players that have lost felt it it, felt it and what you have to do is you need to unscrew the cap of that little bottle and and douse the whole team in it really Mm. and if England go up there motivated then I think there is a performance in this England team that we haven't seen yet in the championship and that's what it's going to take so I think it'll be close but England are capable of doing extraordinary things I think Lawrence 100% right there there is a performance in this team and and if they add that layer of physicality that they haven't had because of personnel and injuries then that is the kind of thing that could exactly transform it well Nick as always it's great to chat to you and we'll catch up again next week when we will know who's won the Calcutta Cup Steve where will you be this weekend for the games well I will actually be watching the game on my phone probably on a bus on the way back from uh, Old Trafford sorry I'm going to watch the round ball on Saturday afternoon probably shouldn't admit to that should I well now Man United are winning again you're you're a fan are you the glory fan yeah I've come back to watching again yes well I shall be watching the game and listening to John Barkley Martin Johnson and Sam Warburton in the BBC Actually working, are you no, this weekend? Is a BBC guy. Oh, exactly. oh, behave yourself. I uh, certainly there, will you? be. Steve, thanks for your company, and my thanks to you, Nick, and also our special guest, John Barkley, uh, and my thanks to VoxPod Studios for everything they do for us. We'll be back next week, but until then, thanks for listening and goodbye for now. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.